Today as a Sunday, we're going to, there's a little bit of a special emphasis just to say welcome to Kevin and his family. They've been with us for many years, but as he's officially joining the pastoral staff, we want to take a little bit of time to think about, well, what is it that we're asking Kevin to do as a pastor here at Shawnee Baptist Church? And his official role is pastor of discipleship. So what does that mean? And what's, well, what's his job description among us as a church? And speaking of job descriptions, if there's things we're expecting Kevin to do, then what, what are we expecting of ourselves? Or what, what, what is our role in what God might do in and through Kevin's ministry? That's what I want to think about a little bit this morning, especially as we think to the future. So in that, have you ever had the opportunity to look at a construction project? To look at a work and to, to be able to see the foundation and see what's going on, especially if you're like in a city center and you can look through the fence and you see down into the pit where the foundation for this building is being laid. I, I remember a few years ago, my wife and I were walking through Denver and there was a massive area of the, the city block that had been cleared and there was a gate you could look through and we were looking down several stories. You couldn't see the bottom, but you could see the foundation being built. It was, it was obvious from the size of the foundation foundation, that it was going to be an impressive structure. And, and we had this thought in our minds, what is this going to look like? What, what is the finished product going to be? Have you ever had an experience like that, where you're seeing a construction project? And sure enough, if we backed up from the fence, there were massive architectural renderings. That there was a picture of the finished project. And then we could see what the building was. And it's kind of cool to be able to see, okay, if that's what the end is, now the foundation's making a little more sense. I want us to think in those terms when it comes to the church. In this passage, Paul is giving us a bit of the job descriptions of some of the people in the church, and he helps paint the picture of what the end project looks like. There, there's a picture, there's an architectural rendering that says, here's where you're going. And then that helps us think about some of the foundational things of, well, what are some of the building blocks? If, it's, if that's where we're going, how do we get there? What are our job descriptions in the church? What is Kevin's role going to be as pastor of discipleship? And, and what building blocks do we need to be laying now so that the end result uh, ends up something close to what Paul says the goal is supposed to look like? We're at a unique time in the life of Shawnee Baptist Church. Uh, we're 40 years into the history of this church. I don't mean unique in the sense that it's special or better or different in that sense. I, what I mean unique is we're at this specific point in our history. We're, we're, we're 40 years in and God has brought us to this point where for whatever reason He's brought all of us together in this room and well, what's our job descriptions? What's my role? What's your role? What's Kevin's role? But let's back up a little bit. Let's get a bigger picture than just Shawnee Baptist Church. What is Jesus doing with his church in the world today? Just before Jesus ascended and went to heaven and he gave the Great Commission and he made it very clear that as his followers, his followers were supposed to continue to raise up other followers, to make disciples. And his plan A for that job, for the task of making disciples, is the church. Not just Shawnee Baptist Church, but, but the church throughout the world today. 
And, and so what is the church supposed to be doing to raise up disciples? And let me ask you this. Is the church being effective in that task of making disciples? Is there something needed in the church today? There, there's many people that are saying we, we, we need some kind of change in the church, especially as we think of the American Western church. That, that there's something sick in the culture and something needs to change. I tend to agree with some of the people that are saying those kinds of things. So what's the answer? I don't always agree with what their answer is. Is there a silver bullet? Is there some magic program? Is there a way that we could start as Kevin is the pastor of discipleship and we could have him come up next Sunday and give us the six steps of discipleship and by December we'll have a new church? Would that be, is that the task we should task him with? Do we need something new to make the church effective and relevant and uh, have an effective ministry in the world today? Or in the very nature of the church, in what Jesus built into the DNA of His church, is the church already effective and relevant? And do we as a people need not something new, but we need to remember something old, something very, very old that Jesus built into His church and He gave us instructions in the New Testament. And He says, this is it. This is your job description. This is the way disciples are going to be raised. This is the way disciples are going to be made. And if that's the case, what's your role in that and what is my role in that? And I think as we walk through this passage, as Paul is teaching the church there at Ephesus, we're going to see and be able to understand what God's plans and purposes are for the church, or at least an aspect of it as it relates to these job descriptions. So if you're taking notes, here's the one thing that I want you to walk away with this morning. Here's the, here's the central truth that I want to unpack and help us understand some things about and what relates to our roles together as disciples at Shawnee Baptist Church, and it's this. Jesus has gifted His church for the purpose of discipleship. And you and I are a part of that gift. Jesus has gifted his church for the purpose of discipleship. And you and I are a part of that gift. That statement's true whether I'm saying it, whether you're saying it, whether the person in the pew next to you is saying it. It's you and I. It's together are part of the gift that Jesus has given to His church for the purpose of discipleship. So let's walk through this passage. There's more here than we have time to unpack this morning, but let's start trying to understand a little bit of it together. We're going to start in verse 7. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7, but, the, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Let me stop there and explain a little bit. You see right in the very first word, but there's this transition, there's a contrast. For the first six verses of the chapter, Paul has been emphasizing the oneness and the unity of all of the members of the church. You look at verse uh, 4, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your called. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all, through all, in all. There's, there's unity, right? The church is one. God has put the church together. And then verse 7, but even though there is only one faith and one Lord and one hope and one baptism, Jesus, through his grace, has given a gift to each one of you. So now there's diversity. 
In the first six verses, there's a lot of unity where everyone is one, but now there's a gift that's been given to each and every person in Christ's church. And there would be other places of Scripture where you would go to flesh this out and understand more of what these gifts are and how they operate because later on in the passage, it's going to focus in on just a few of the gifts and a few of the people in the gifts. When we get to verse 11, you're going to see a few specific people called out and named as gifts. But keep in mind that here in verse 7, he's stressing there is a gift that, that Christ has given out of the grace of Christ. He's given a gift to each and every person who is his follower. And it's meant for the church. And we're going to look at that. So grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, verses 8, 9, and 10, these are a couple verses that we're not going to spend a lot of time in for our purposes this morning. But this is just kind of a little bit of commentary and explanation on the gifts that were given and, and the fact that Christ in his process, not just of death, burial, and resurrection, but in his ascension, part of that was gifting his church and commissioning them for the purpose and the process for the process of discipleship and the purpose that he had called them to. So in verse 8, it goes back and quotes from Psalm 68 and says, Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led host a he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Verses 9 and 10, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. There's been a, a, a wild variety of interpretations of this over the years, and it's caused confusion in some places, but uh, though we won't take all the time to explain it, I think the best explanation of what this means in realizing that uh, when it speaks of Christ's dissension is that he willingly, just like Paul says in Philippians, that he lowered himself, that he, not only in his death, burial, and resurrection did he ascend back to his rightful place as Lord, but prior to that, in the incarnation, when God became man, he descended into, hum he humbled himself and entered this earth and then through his death, burial, and resurrection, he conquered death and in his ascension then gifted the church, gifted those of us, gave gifts just as any loving, conquering king would do, giving gifts to his people for the task of which he has called them with. So let's look at what some of those gifts are then in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now here, remember, verse 7, he gave gifts to everybody, but now he's going to focus in on, here's a few of the specific people who are those gifts. Here's a few of the specific things that help you understand. So first of all, there's apostles and prophets, and we understand that the church was built on the foundation of their ministry. In chapter 2, verse 20, Paul already says that, that we were built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and their ministry, and we wouldn't believe that that gift is still in effect today and so he's saying there's apostles there's prophets there's evangelists those who uh, would have a, a, a public ministry in more than just one location those who would have a ministry for the gospel to multiple bodies of the of the church but then you also come to the excuse me verse 11 the shepherds and the teachers 
Now, the language is just a little bit different in the original text when it explains the shepherds and the teachers. For each one of the others, there's a definite article that goes with it. And so you have the apostles, the prophets, and there's even another word that doesn't translate into uh, English, but it's almost as if he's saying, on the one hand, you have the prophets, and also on the other hand, you have the evangelists, and on another hand, you have the apostles, and yet we don't bring that word over into English. But when you get to pastors and teachers, there's only one article. Article. It's just the pastors and teachers. And then uh, even the conjoining word, the and, is a little bit different there, which just helps us understand. The reason I go into that long nerd out talk about the English language that I don't even understand. I'm not, I'm not gifted at language. It helps us understand that probably what we're looking at here is, is one person who has both of these functions, both the, the, the pastoring, shepherding function and the teaching function, whereas some of these others were, were distinct offices. Here you're going to understand, well, to be a shepherd, to be a pastor, is to be a teacher. Not all teachers in the church are pastors, but certainly those who are pastors, elders, shepherds. The New, Te- the New Testament frequently uses these words to describe the one office. And so as we look at Kevin joining this morning as a pastor of discipleship, he's a, he's a pastor, he's a shepherd, he's a teacher, he's an elder, he's a bishop or an overseer, and all the words of the New Testament continue to bring this back and help us understand, okay, this is the one office and it has a variety of functions, but these are God's gift to the church. So in this understanding of of what is the gift that God has given to the church, some of the gift, a part of the gift, is the leaders of the church, those who help uh, in a special and unique way that's different than the members of the church in the way that they serve and give the church. So let me talk a little bit more about what that distinction is. Look at verse 12. What was the purpose of these gifts? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, what are they doing? Verse, 11, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Before I keep going, let me come back and explain some of this. The, the, the purpose, that reason Jesus has gifted his church with pastors or elders, shepherds, teachers, bishops, Jesus has gifted these shepherds to the church to equip the saints. That's the reason that we, we want to stop and look at this and understand, well, let's ask some question as we go through the rest of the passage. First of all, what is the task or what's the purpose for which Christ gave the gift? Who is the one doing the work? Who does these tasks? What do these tasks accomplish and how long will it take? Let's ask some of those questions as we go through this text then as you see it. First of all, what is the task? We'll look at verse 12 and you'll see there's actually two job descriptions. There's actually two tasks that are given. He gives the shepherds and the teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's the first job description, that pastors, elders, shepherds, teachers are supposed to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So the second job description there is that the saints are supposed to be the ones doing the work of the ministry, that you, the members of Shawnee Baptist Church, you, the saints, would be the ones who are being equipped to do the work of the ministry. Look at the rest of the verse then. What does this accomplish? It's for the building up of the body of Christ. So what is the work of the ministry? The work of the ministry is the building up of the body of Christ. So let me ask this question then. We've already said what is the task. There's two of them. The pastors equip. The saints do the work of the ministry. 
Who, who does these tasks? Well, the pastors are the ones equipping the saints. That doesn't mean that the pastors aren't involved in the work of the ministry. It, it means the pastors are the ones that God has equipped and given to his church so that they can help equip you, the saints, to do the work of the ministry. So we're going to think a little bit more about what the work of the ministry is, but let me just stop right there and, and think about it this way. So what's your role in the church? As you come each Sunday, as you belong to Shawnee Baptist Church, uh, how should you be thinking about your participation and activity in the life of Shawnee Baptist Church? I've been on two different kinds of rafting trips in my life. Uh, if any of you enjoy whitewater rafting or being outdoors, uh, there was a time when I was in junior high and my dad's cousin out west took us on a, a float trip. This was about, I, uh, so th many of you have probably been like to Pennsylvania or West Virginia and you've been on a rafting trip where there's six or eight or nine of you in the boat. There's a captain who sits in the back and all of you have oars and all of you are rowing. Float trip is completely different. On the float trip, it's same size boat, but there's one captain who sits up on a higher seat in the back and he's got these great big long oars and he does all of the rowing. And uh, as you're going down the river through the mountains, it's a little bit more of a gentle stream and uh, he would work, he would, he would watch the rapids and all you're doing in your boat, you're, or in your seat, you're sitting up there fishing. You're just enjoying life and you're fishing. And he's watching the river and he can see the rapids and he can see the things and, he, and he's working to steer the boat into the right direction. You had to row backwards, actually. You didn't attack the rapids. You let the water, you backed up and slowed down and let the water carry you in a safe track through the river. It was, it was kind of like, uh, it, it, was, it was the most enjoyable, least amount of work I've ever had to do, except for the one time he said, you try, and I got to row the boat. That We, we didn't capsize or anything. Um, but the other kind of rafting trip, if you've been a part of one, if you go to uh, six or eight of you are in the boat and you're not doing this for a couple days, you're just doing this for a couple hours and you're in the rapids and there's a captain in the back who's still calling out orders, but everybody has an oar. Everybody has a paddle. And if he says row on the right side, you row on the right side. And if the people on the left aren't supposed to be rowing, they better not row. And if he tells the people on the left to drag their paddles, you better drag your paddles. And everybody's attacking the rapids and everybody's job is to make sure that you get through safe in the past and, and the the captain in the back is kind of calling out those orders. In terms of the two illustrations, no illustration is perfect for the church, but which is more accurate of thinking of the way we do church together as ministry? Well, let me tell you, this church together is not a comfortable float through the mountains like an all-expenses cruise where there's people that we pay to work in ministry and they're the ones that give you an enjoyable ride through your Christian life. Uh, this is not a cruise ship, right? It's, it's more of the idea of a battleship, right? Where together we get involved in the ministry. We all have a task. And so this morning, what are we doing in asking Kevin Rue to join the pastoral staff? Don't think of this now as you have two ministers at Shawnee Baptist Church. That'd be an inaccurate way of thinking about this. We have a church with a couple of hundred ministers. They're you. And together, not just Kevin and I, but with all of the elders, we have a responsibility to care for the flock and to help equip you to do the work of the ministry. Now, we've chosen to, to ask Kevin and I to devote ourselves to that full time, and, and you even pay us, and we're thankful for that, so that we can uh, give ourselves to this 24 hours, well, not 24 hours a day, no. 
full-time, we can give ourselves to this task. And we're thankful for that, right? But we need, the, we need the giftings of the other elders there together with us to help us accomplish these tasks. And, and, and so we need to realize that it's, this is not going to be the Kevin and Aaron show. This is going to be Shawnee Baptist Church by God's grace if he allows it. We want to see him work in and through you. And the job of the elders collectively is to help guide the ship, to help, to help us understand, okay, where are you equipped? Where are you gifted? Let's help equip you so that you can use your gift and serve and flourish because God's, uh, God's plan for his people to grow in his church is when you are using your gifts for the betterment of the body to seeing people grow. So in those veins, I would ask you to be praying for our elders. Be praying for us this Thursday night. This would be one of the few times where I encourage you to use your phone in church. If you have a calendar or can set a reminder or set an alarm and you'd be willing to set, even right now as I'm talking, set an alarm for Thursday night. Somewhere between 6 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 9 o'clock, wherever it is, I would love for the elders to be prayed for all evening this Thursday night. We're going to gather together and we have been uh, for a while just thinking about there's something exciting going on in the church where many of you have been having dreams and burdens of these are ministries that we need to see given attention to in the life of the church, whether they be women's ministry, whether they be outreach and evangelism, whether they be children's ministry. There's all kinds of places that we want to give some attention to and see how can God work in these areas. Well, that's been encouraging to hear some of you come to us over the last months and say, where should we get plugged in? Where should we get involved? How do we do this? And now as elders, we're looking at it and saying, all right, there's no way we could accomplish all of these things in the next year. So we need to figure out where our priorities are and prioritize our priorities, so to speak. And so we've tried to write out some of these things. And on Thursday night, we just want to spend some time praying, dreaming, thinking, well, in the next three months, which one should we try to check off the list? And then how about six months? And how about a year? And who can spearhead some of these things? Because Kevin and Aaron can't do all of it. Uh, And so I just tell you about it just to know that I tell you that that meeting is going to take place not because next Sunday we're going to have a brand new plan. Uh, We won't accomplish that much on Thursday night. I do know that we won't accomplish what we're supposed to accomplish if God isn't in it. And your prayers uh, will be helpful for us as elders just discerning, God, where where do you want us to start? How How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Which ones should we get started on? What people have you gifted our church with where we as elders can commission them can you run with this ministry? Can you help get some of these things started? And so we would appreciate your prayers this Thursday night and uh, as we think about what, what's, what's some of the next priorities and initiatives for the church. Well, even as we think about then, why would, why would we think about that? What are some of these ministries going to accomplish? As you think about in Ephesians here, Pastors doing the equipping, saints doing the work of the ministry. Well, why? What is being accomplished? At the end of verse 12, you see this. At the end of verse 12, it's for the building up of the body of Christ. Look at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Here's what we're hoping is accomplished by all of this. That there's a maturing process in the church. That the believers are, are built up. That there's a unity in the faith. So remember, 
first six verses all about unity. Then there's a diversity of gifts. And why? It all works together to bring about unity then, again, in the body. A unity in the faith so that the believers are built up and encouraged in the faith so that we all understand what it means to have a mature manhood in knowing and understanding who God is. And then, and then he, he illustrates it in a couple ways. He, he says, let me talk about what this maturity looks like. Verse 14, negatively, it doesn't look like this. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You know, when you see a church that is filled with immature believers, when the, the discipleship process hasn't been happening the way that it should, if people aren't growing in who Christ is, Paul's saying, listen, you're, you're going to be immature. You're going to be like children. You're going to be able to be tossed about by every wind of doctrine. You're going to be able to be confused in understanding the Christian truth. Have you ever seen how easy it is to confuse a six-year-old, especially gullible ones? You can confuse them on anything. They'll believe you. They'll think it's the truth, right? And the same thing can happen to believers who aren't being built up in the faith, who aren't being uh, growing into who Christ is. And then he says, positively, rather, so if we don't want to be like children who will believe anything and be harmed by it, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We, we want to be people who are growing in our faith learning more about who Christ is and being mature in that sense. And how is it going to happen? Speaking the truth in love. When, when friends are willing to talk to friends and say, this is what God's word says, let's grow together. Let's, let's encourage one another. So you use your gift... Pastors are given by God to help equip you. Your gift is for the work of the ministry, which builds people up in the faith. So what is the work of the ministry? If you want to get involved in what God's doing here at Shawnee Baptist Church, what is the work of the ministry and where are you supposed to use your gift? There may be places that we need you to serve. And this Thursday night, we're going to be thinking about some new ones. Again, don't think that I'm saying that on Sunday we're showing up with, you know, we're going to be looking for volunteers to sign up for these no programs. This is going to take longer than that. However, I want you to be thinking forward that why would we want to implement some of these programs? It's so that believers can speak the truth in love to one another and, and believers can be built up. The church doesn't mature. We've told you before that discipleship isn't first and foremost programs. So Thursday is not about what programs can we start that will all of a sudden make discipleship happen. However, we're going to need some ways and opportunities structured that you can come together and speak the truth in love and build one another up and look at God's word and say, how can we grow? What does this have to say for us? I, I want to learn these things. I want to be built up into who Christ is. And so that's that's when you think about doing the work of the ministry it's not it's not first and foremost primarily about thinking is there is there a ministry that needs more volunteers it's first and foremost about thinking am i speaking the truth in love in a way or are others speaking the truth in love to me in a way that's causing me to grow it's friends saying to friends what is god teaching you this week 
Tell me what you're reading in Scripture. Here's what God taught to me this week. What do you think about this spiritual concept? Because it's one I've been struggling with. And that doesn't happen on a Sunday morning when we gather at 10 o'clock. There's not enough time for that. We're going to have to find other ways to get together. And it may be that we gather in Tuesday night in a certain room and there's a, a facilitated way to do something like that. But it also might look like you being intentional in your relationships and, and finding ways to ask those questions to friends. Because if it's not happening, there's a very good chance that you're not growing in the way that you should and there'll be a little bit of immaturity that will need to... You, you'll need to be praying that God works these things out in your life and causes you to grow. Because the goal is maturity in Christ. So let me, let's, let's ask one more question then. How long should all of this take? Well, there's one sense that it will never be finished and complete until Christ returns. We know that perfection and maturity won't completely happen until Christ returns for his church. And so there's one sense where the job is never finished, and yet in another sense, we should be able to see marked progress in our lives as individuals, in the life of a church corporately. So how long does something like that take? Are, are we looking at something that, Kevin, could you have a, a pastor of discipleship? Could you have everybody discipled in here by six months is too long? How about 18 months? Would that work if we give them a year and a half? Uh, I, I think it's going to be a much longer process than many of us would wish, and yet what is encouraging is that's the kind of growth that seems to be the healthiest and the most long-term productive in the lives of Christians and in the lives of churches today. So look, look at some of the maturing language that's used in this verse. If you look at verse 13, until we all attend to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood, I want to come back to what that means in the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. If Christ is the measuring stick, there's a really long ways to go so that we would no longer be children. So he, he is talking about, he's using this language that helps us understand and children and mature adults and the growing process that even happens with children and adults. He doesn't want them to be children. Rather, speak the truth in love. Verse 15, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. So there's the idea of growth. There's the idea of maturity. There's the idea of, of be a full-grown adult, not just a child. When you look at verse 13 and it says grow to a mature manhood, it's very literally a, a, a full-grown adult or a full-grown man. The word that's used has the sense of being uh, 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 involving mature development, having reached full natural growth or development. It's used in extra-biblical language. That word is used of sacrifices that are perfect without spot or blemish, of animals that are fully grown, and of a person who is fully grown or matured as opposed to a child. So here's the picture, complete maturity. And it's even using the imagery of children, which I think is very helpful for us to realize. You know what? You know how long the maturing process process is going to take, it takes a while. I wish it was quick. Um, but I look at my own life and I see the things that God began to teach me. And I didn't learn them overnight. I've learned them over years. Some of them going on decades. And some of you are realizing, I don't have that many decades to count. <laughs> 
and yet I still have been learning them and, it, and by God's grace I'm seeing progress but it doesn't happen overnight and neither will it in your life or in the lives of those sitting next to you. And yet if we want biblical growth, if we want gospel growth for Shawnee Baptist Church, let's pray that God grants us this kind of growth. It will be a slow growth, not numerical growth, thinking in terms of health. And yet I think it's the best. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, I, I was starting to think about this passage and this sermon, and my wife and I were getting our kids ready for bed, and we had all the kids in the same room as they uh, were getting their jammies on, and Rowan is our youngest. He's two and a half. When some of our other kids were two and a half, they were talking in philosophical, multi-sentence conversations with proper grammar. Rowan can get a word or two in, and yet you always know exactly what he's thinking. You know, he, he communicates very well. So we saw a tremendous amount of growth in his life that night. He was getting ready to, for his jammies, and he had to take his shorts off and put his jammies on, and by himself, he took his pants off, all the way by himself, still had a diaper on, but he took, he took his pants off by himself. He has never done that before. It was a momentous occasion. My wife was there, and she got excited for him. Reed got excited for him. Ivy got excited for him. There was celebration in the Hart household because of the maturity of my two-year-old son that was able to undress himself, right? There were high fives being given through the room. Rowan was going around high-fiving Reed and Ivy, and I was celebrating with him. I, I said, wow, great job, Rowan, but apparently in his mind it wasn't enough. He totters over to me, picks up my hand so he can high-five it for me. He knew that what he had just accomplished was significant. Now, let me make this uncomfortable for a second. Could you imagine, what would you think of me as a father if I watched that growth in his life and I said, Rowan, quit celebrating. Your brother can take his shirt off by himself and he can put them back on and he doesn't need his mom to help him. You better shape up. At that moment, which one of us is immature? Right? And, and so let that be a warning and a caution to us that if, if, if we are people who are fixated on the immaturity of others, it, it can be a dangerous thing. Now, now, growth needs to happen in the life of others, but it's speaking the truth in love, and let's pray that God helps us to see that. Let, let's pray that God gives us that, that patience and longing to see the church grow in the way that he would have it to be. And it's, it'll probably be a painful process, and yet we, we want to celebrate that. We want to realize that God is as patient and loving with us we, we want to be that patient and loving with others. God, help us to be that way as a people. And then what, what happens? What happens as, as, as the church gets together and accomplishes these things? Let me ask you this. What is your role in that? Have you plugged into the church in serving in this way and using your gifts in the church? Please don't be sitting back thinking that now that we're bringing Kevin on as a pastor, we have two ministers and now things will begin to happen. That's not the way that ministry will work. God has given us a plurality of elders, all of us together, and we will be working to see, God, can you please use these gifts to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that we see God do neat things here. And verse 16 is kind of the result. 
from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, each, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's what we desire, that each part is working properly. And the body will grow. Jesus has built his discipleship program into the DNA of the church. That, that, that the saints working together and ministering together will equip, excuse me, when the saints are equipped to do the work of the ministry, we speak the truth in love. The believers are built up. We grow up into Christ, and each part, when it's working properly, makes the body grow. God's the one who grants the growth through his spirit and through his word. And so you have this quote in your bulletin from a man named Jonathan Lehman, who was a professor uh, that I took a class on the church with, and he said this, Ephesians chapter 4 says that it's the, job, it's the job of the pastors to equip the saints for the ministry of building up the church. Notice the two jobs in this passage. Job 1 is the pastors, equip the saints. Job 2 is the members, the ministry of building up the body of Christ. If Jesus tasks members with affirming and building up one another in the gospel, he tasks pastors with training them to do this. If the pastors don't do their jobs very well, Neither will the members. When you put the pastor's office together with the member's office, what do you get? Jesus' discipleship program. May God do this for us as a church here at Shawnee. Father, we come to you and we are grateful for who you are as God. We're grateful for the sacrifice of Christ who has given gifts to the church along with the salvation that Christ has provided. You have gifted your church for discipleship and each one of the people in this room has the opportunity to play a part in that. I pray that those who are serving well would be encouraged and persevere. I pray that those who are looking for ways to get plugged in would be uh, encouraged. I pray that we as shepherds and elders would do our job well, that we would think carefully about how to equip the saints so that they can do their job. Help us, Father, in these tasks we ask and pray in Christ's name. Amen.